I, I think I know what motivates you to get out of bed every day and do what you're doing, but tell us what it is. Um, I am so fortunate to have a career that I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about the uh, animals. I'm passionate about working with these police and other working dogs. Um, and so I, I really do love going to work and um, doing whatever we can to, to help these animals. The foundation that you're starting, the Mark 9 Medical Assistance for Retired Canines, where did you get the idea for that, and why is it so important? Uh, great question. We, we'd had, I've been working with these canines for quite a while, and what happens when they retire, some of them are older, some are a bit younger, um, they have numerous medical conditions, and there's typically a transaction with the department, so the handler pays a dollar and, and now owns that dog, which is great. Um, but then they own the dog's health problems, too. And handlers, like all other um, people, are concerned about finances. And, and they're retiring at an age when they have significant medical conditions. And ironically, that's when the handlers are now responsible for them. There's never been, uh, with any department I know of, any sort of funding for these dogs once they become the property of the owner. So the, the owner or the handlers are now paying for their medical costs out of pocket. Illinois, like a couple of other states, has tried to legislate this, and I believe there's a bill waiting to be signed that would force most of the police agencies and law enforcement agencies to to provide a retirement for their dogs. I'm guessing you think that's a good idea. Absolutely. You know, just like the officers have a pension, these dogs were bred for this condition. They were acquired by the department. This is what they do. They have a career. They spend 90% of their, 90% to 100 percent of their lifespan working for the department and there there's no thought given to how to care for them after they're retired it it is concerning to me because uh, i'm sure our audience will think about this too they've seen many police dogs who have died in the line of duty or who have had to be euthanized in while they're still on duty and the police departments and law enforcement other organizations the fire departments make big deal out of that there's usually a procession and the police are saluting and there's usually a an honors funeral why is doesn't that carry over though to the thinking after this dog retires that's a great question i often ask myself i you know i'm always proud when there's a procession and they're they're given the honor they deserve and yet behind the scenes, I know that they're not always given that honor when they're on duty um, or certainly when they're off duty. Once they're off duty, they're retired. They're, I think, a little bit out of sight, out of mind. You know, here the handler took him. He's no longer an employee or an officer. He's a retired officer, and he doesn't come to the station. He doesn't ride in the squad. And I think they just don't think about it. And it, it, it tends not to be a priority to consider them for many departments in the line item when they're budgeting. The other part of this, too, is your foundation deals with the retired dogs, but in day-to-day life, you deal with dogs who are actively on duty. Absolutely. And there's still this sort of this afterthought, or not pre-thought maybe it is, that you, they're still not treating the dogs as well as you'd like them to be treating them when they're on duty. Give us some examples of what uh, you've seen. Absolutely. There, you know, it certainly varies by department. Some departments are extremely supportive. A dog has an injury or a concern. Whatever it needs is their answer, and that's great. Others are, well, let's see what we can work with, and do we need to do that now? Can we defer that treatment um, versus whatever he needs? They're, they still need to go back out on their shift the following week or day or whenever they're working next. Um, and we even some, again, it varies quite a lot by department. 
Um, and I understand they have budget constraints, but these canines put officer safety at, they're much, they're very important in terms of getting the officers home that day. So, so many times canines will enter a building that you wouldn't want an officer going in first and they clear the building. Um, we never know how many how many officers would be down without the canines going in first. We do lose several dozen canines a year um, in the line of duty, but what that tells us is that that many more human officers that went home to their families. Because these officers, uh, these canine officers, they, they'll even take bullets and knives for Absolutely. their uh, handlers, and so they really are saving those lives. But they're also doing... Uh, an amazing job of being a police officer. They're finding missing kids and they're finding uh, drugs and all kinds of stuff that a human could never do. Yep, they work a lot. Almost all of them are trained in either narcotics detection or explosive detection. So, you know, we take for granted until something terrible like Boston happens, but how often these dogs are finding explosives. And um, the public may not even know they were safer that day because of these dogs um narcotics are being taken off the street in every town every day um and they're they do they find missing people they find suspects they find missing potentially missing guns or other articles that are needed for solving crimes um so they're they're working hard every day regardless they, they are athletes they run hard they work hard and so it takes a toll on their body um fortunately the great majority of them are very healthy up until 10 when we start seeing the typical aging concerns. But um, they they work hard and they never complain. What impact do you think it has that states like Illinois treat dogs as more like property than they do people? It's a tough one. It, it's, you know, it, it they should, there should be better welfare um, and welfare guidelines and standards for uh, punishment for cruelty, absolutely. Um, and especially, again, these sworn officers are, you know, if, if they're killed in the line of duty or injured, they're, you know, they're sworn officers. They were put there by us and by the departments to protect the public, and they need to be treated that way. Um, I, I, I won't understand why there aren't higher higher penalties for cruelty or or treating animals as if they were property uh, when they're injured purposely. Yeah. Uh, I, I met you um, uh, when you, uh, back up to last year, when there was a search for the missing police officer, or the, the people who, who we thought at the time had killed a suburban police right. officer, ended up he'd taken his own life. But one of the things I want to get, get across to our listeners is what you do as as it, it, before the dogs retire, you have a, a medical van and you go out to where these dogs are in action. And, and that day, I remember meeting you and you were telling me telling us about how the dogs, so many of them, were near dehydration. And if you hadn't kind of responded to that scene that hot day, they were all out searching. We could have actually lost some of those police dogs that day. Definitely, that, that's a great point too of how they're an afterthought. That was an incredible day that a lot of us won't forget for a long time. And. We, there were 48 canine teams on scene, which is an astronomical number of dogs working together. Yeah. Um, and it was a very hot day. Handler, all of the officers and first responders were drinking and getting IVs themselves. And as an afterthought, 
I was called by some of the handlers personally and asked to come out. Um, 48 dog teams were out there, and there was no medical, there was no official medical um, standby. So we're hoping that changes now with enough connections and with my um, position as a veterinarian for many of these working dogs. Um, I don't think we'd see a mass incident where we're not on site. I I do often say I somehow I have the best job in the world. I get to go out in the field, hang out. We do have a working ambulance that uh, we can treat dogs in. So in Fox Lake last year, we treated a, probably about 40 of those 48 dogs. Um, several of them, I'm fairly certain, would have succumbed to the heat had we not been able to treat them. It was wonderful. It's an honor to be out there to treat them, but it's worrisome to think that it it was an afterthought. And there, up until then, at least, veterinary care wasn't in part of the planning. You know, you can imagine how many ambulances and first responders were there if something did occur with the humans, mm-hmm. which obviously is a priority. But again, we, we kind of rolled up a couple hours in as a here we are now. <laughs> yeah, and but and I think it's important to say you rolled up sort of at your own expense. That oftentimes you do this at your own expense. You shut down your veterinary practice, get in this this dog ambulance, and go. Yeah. And you're there on your own dime. You're right. Um, and again, it, I'm fortunate to be able to do it and love it and wouldn't trade it. But uh, for many of those dogs, they were my patients already. Um, for many of the dogs, I I might have known them or hadn't met them, and I treated them. And we did not build the departments because, again, there's no standard for it. There's no setup. There's no there's no protocol in place to treat these animals when they when they are on scene like that. I recently saw a picture of you in the Daily Herald. There was a nice story about how you were teaching uh, first aid to some of these Correct. departments. Is that something that came out of the Glenowitz Fox Lake incident that uh, some of these departments have pledged to? Hey, we're going to start taking this more seriously. That's a great question. I think so because I think we're seeing it now with the SWAT teams. You know, it we are thinking proactively, and mm-hmm. I think I think myself talking with some of the handlers that. During that incident, it was like, hey, we should think of this for the future. Um, and it, it should happen that it also has a lot to do with those departments that are proactive. A um, couple departments individually say, you know what, we have a canine. We do not want anything happening in canine. Our paramedics can't handle. And they've had us come in and teach the medics. They already know the medicine. They just need to know the canine and the anatomy. So it's actually fun for them, I think. And and gives the department peace of mind that their sworn officer, although he's a canine, will now get appropriate care. And then it only, the great thing is, it doesn't stop there. Now the medics are trained. There's a pet in a house fire, a pet in a vehicle accident. They now feel comfortable and confident that they can help. Um, And that, it really comes down to the individual departments and the administration support of the canine unit. And what kind of also sparked me, uh, sparked the idea to have you in on our CEO Spotlight series was the recent passing of uh, Brittany, the last 9-11 dog right. after, I think, what, 15 years, it's maybe six Amazing. And here, here you have a, a dog that retired as a hero, uh, even though she wasn't able to make any rescues at 9-11. That was kind of a painful thing. But it sort of brings up, you know, that Aside from the medical part of this, uh, the retirement of these working dogs, they do kind of want to keep working even after they're retired, don't they? Oh, absolutely. I'm actually a fan. You know, there's different philosophies in the canine world. If I had my choice, the majority of canines would retire on duty. There are some that get older and they're sore, and they're okay staying home, to be honest. Mm -hmm. But 
many of them many of them do get euthanized on duty and they were happy working till the end as long as they're with their handler mm-hmm. um but mark nine is for those dogs who don't retire on duty and they do get to retire and become family pets um but they're still they still have that drive in them they may not have the joints they used to have but yeah. they have that drive what does retirement on duty look like what is that um you know that's a great question too because it varies sometimes Retirement on duty can be tough. It changes the handler's world. Um, the handler's still an officer. They're no longer canine. They no longer go to a every other week training class or mm-hmm. training session. Um, the great majority of canine units have a group they train with every two weeks. So suddenly you have an officer who goes to work every day. He doesn't have a squad car with canine on it. He has a different position, and the dog now stays home. And that can be really tough for some of these dogs. Um, they don't understand why they're suddenly not walking out the door when they're when their handler's in uniform. Um, some of them, of course, adapt better, and they're on the couch when the handler gets home, and, and they're doing great. Others, it takes a few weeks to a few months to acclimate to staying home, and, and the handlers have to try to work to keep them, keep them active when the handler's off duty so they can still feel like they're working. And so if you're listening at home and you're saying, how the heck can I help Mark 9, this is where you can help if you're listening. The annual, your annual fundraiser, the big one, is, is on, uh, coming up pretty quickly, the annual yes. golf outing. So yes. people can uh, help how? So this is our second annual golf outing. The first one was sold out with a great success. We had wonderful sponsors. Um, we, we were asking for donations that can be given um, either through the website or PayPal or mailed to the address on the website, which is mark9.com. Um, feel free, everybody can feel free to come out for the golf outing itself or we have a dinner with a raffle. Um, and it's a fun event because everybody's out there for the same goal. Everybody is a dog lover. Um, probably only half the people last year were actually handlers. The other half were other officers or just the public who cared. And we have dogs out on the course with their handlers riding on the golf course. So we try to make it fun for the public too. And we're, this year we're planning on a couple demos um, just to see these dogs working doing a little bit of work because it, it's exciting to see what they do. And I've been working with them for 10 years. I'm still amazed at, you know, watching their their demos every time. They're they're amazing. And aside from the golf outing throughout the year, you would happily accept donations and contributions. Absolutely. And maybe we'll talk later in the year, but after we get through the golf outing, we're planning our first annual casino night um, in November. So that will be our next annual event. Um, and we hope to keep building because we've started in the Chicagoland area but we're already um, thinking and and taking action to help handlers out of state. So I have one application from Ohio. Um, so we're hoping to, you know, focus on Chicagoland area initially, but there's no reason we shouldn't grow and take care of as many um, retired dogs as we can. Because there are other states, believe it or not, that treat their retired dogs even worse than some yes. Illinois jurisdictions where they're still euthanized at the end of their tours. You got it. Yeah. Especially in the military. Um, not typically military dogs, but private contractors. Yeah. Um, and these dogs are, you know, they're the biggest need they have when they're retired is a, a medical care for arthritis and just aches and pains from working so hard for so long. Um, and those just like human health care, not not quite as bad, but uh, the cost can add up for sure. And I know that there, there are veterinary medical companies like Zoetis who are, who are trying to find ways to make this easier on these dogs yes. to come up with better treatments. Is that an ongoing thing, too? Do you think the research is moving in the right direction? I hope. Zoetis is the first big one I know of. Um, 
and they have a Rimadel Rewards card, which uh, rewards the handler with annually typically a $300 credit on a credit card they can use at the veterinarian, um, and that's huge. That's the first program I know where a big national company said, here, we're recognizing them, um, and so we're partnering quite a bit with Zoetis to get this up and rolling and uh, try to make it seen nationally as an important function. I know when I was working a story last year on uh, retired police dogs, they're just as fluffy and cuddly as every other dog, aren't they? The, the great majority. It's kind of a secret, but yeah. um, I joke that I work with these big, tough police dogs, and and secretly there's only about two that are quite aggressive with me. The others are... Just like, like their pets ear. in the clinic. Yeah. They love their tummy scratched yeah. and ears scratched. Don't tell, don't tell the um, bad guys, but but uh, they yeah. can be pretty nice. 